Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you live from a campground that could be near you if you were about 80 miles north of New York City. And we know how KOA works it. They take the biggest town within 100 miles and they and they give themselves that name. And so we are in the KOA West, New or York. North. Or North. Or North. Anyway, we're... A long way from New York, and you would never consider using this as your base for New York because we're over 80 miles away. And this, of course, allows them to charge astronomical prices <laughs> for things that oh, we do not want and will not use. But We, we paid a resort fee for the first time. We always struggle with places to stay in the Northeast around Boston and New York mm. and any of the big metro areas. They're just expensive and crowded. That's the way it is. And now you're saying, what is a resort fee? And... I will leave here not knowing. (laughs) (laughs) They charge you extra for using the... Bouncing pillow. The bouncing pillow and the... The Hawaiian luau and and the mini golf tournament and the fire truck ride and the hay truck ride and the make an animal lesson that they had this morning. Now, those of you who have been listening to our podcast for a while know that we are not bouncing pad people. But, <laughs> but we, if you but, are but, a young family, this is a wonderful place for you to be because you it's like a resort. You can stay here all I weekend, know, all week, have a wonderful time, never have to leave. Your kids will have fun, but we're not kids. And we're staying in a KOA because it's kind of convenient to the highway and we're close to the attractions that we want to go to, so... Here we are. Here we are. Now, this is interesting. In the past few weeks, we have not had to worry about campgrounds. Because one of the nice things about a caravan is you get up in the morning and you don't even know where you're going. And you, you're given step-by-step directions and you drive. You don't need a map. Don't you, need a map. You have no clue where you are. You have no clue where you're going. But when you get within the last step or two of the directions on the log, you radio in to the wagon master who tells you what your campsite number is and helps you park if you need help parking. And there you are. You and you don't have to go in. a brain-dead person and take a caravan. You don't have to check in. You don't have to go to the office you don't have to do any of that stuff or pay of course which is really nice because in the last few days since the caravan we've been off the caravan for about a week and since that time we spent a lot of time i'm surprised researching campgrounds and figuring out where we're going and that sort of stuff well i think not that we're not used to that part of the problem is that we've already done the obvious things Uh so we're looking for um, alternative routes Um, we've already done all the things that are near the expressway because that's easy to do certainly driving in Newfoundland has made me feel a bit braver about rooting Ken down teeny tiny winding roads Uh, since he handled them so well when we drove through the Maritimes. So I'm braver to leave the expressway and looking for more obscure yet interesting things to do. So, dear listener, at the end of July, we left you as we were about to go into Newfoundland via the ferry, the overnight ferry. I think we were just, that was just prior to the last podcast, and here we are in September, a month later, having just gotten off the caravan and having done four ferries since we talked to you last. So, 
How was the ferry experience, the first one? Very good. It's a little bit creepy driving your motorhome <laughs> onto a ferry, driving any sort of an RV onto a ferry, but uh, the folks that run these are professional, and they help you to park within inches of the person next to you, and uh, we were well prepared. We had a little overnight bag packed because this ferry took overnight, and we had a cabin for the crossing. Yes, and that was, of course, all of these details were taken care of by the caravan, so we didn't have to worry about anything. We just got up in the morning and drove to the spot. And all this ferry business was one of the reasons that made us choose (laughs) the caravan. We could have planned it for ourselves, but yet we heard about people who couldn't get on because the ferries were full or had to take a ferry that left at 2 o'clock in the morning, which wouldn't be very fun. So this was, again, um, a worry-free way to handle these little details. And it was worry-free, and we had a good time doing it because we drove on board, and as we said to you last time, this was going to be one of the most expensive nights we've ever spent because... It cost $1,800 on the first ferry, but that was for 16 hours. And one of the big worries was the propane business, because on no ferry will they allow you to leave your refrigerator running if you're a propane user. And, of course, we were on our batteries running our home refrigerator, so we were uh, a little bit inquisitive about that. But the weather was cool, so and the inside of the ferry was reasonably cool. And when we went back down to start ourselves up to leave, we came out uh, and found out that our batteries were still at 70% after almost 24 hours of running the refrigerator and keeping the coach in good shape. The other worry that some people had, not us, was that... You are not allowed Uh to um, bring your animals, if you have a dog or a cat, upstairs with you. Um, They have to stay in the rig or on these long ferries. You have to rent a kennel kennel space for them. No, you um, don't have to. It's an option. Or you can leave it in the rig. Right. I said that. So one of the couples who had a large, young, rambunctious dog chose to leave him in the rig. Because it was quite, cheaper. quite concerned about how he would weather the trip. He did just fine. But certainly that's something you want to consider if you are planning a ferry trip of any length. Right. And even our friends who had the, the trailer with only one battery still had no trouble keeping their rig going, apparently. They had a standard yeah, we didn't hear about anybody losing or their batteries dying or anything like that. So uh, one of the, the tips they told us is, you know, put some blocks of ice in your refrigerator, turn it down cold before you uh, are ready to board the ferry. I think everybody knows that it takes flame in order to cool your refrigerator with a propane fr- refrigerator, which is why they don't allow the propane on the uh, to be turned on during the ferry trip. You You'd hate to have a a propane explosion because somebody's flame went out. So uh, anyway, the refrigerator seemed to do okay, and we got to Newfoundland, which was a new experience for us, at least driving. And we should mention right off the bat, I think, that we did the the long ferry, and then you drive the length of Newfoundland with many stops in between. We spent over three weeks in Newfoundland, and then you come to the far end, which is the name of... We went to St. John to begin with, and then we came back to another city at the far... It was Argentia at the beginning, not St. John. That well, was where the ferry was, came in. Yeah, yeah, but it was for St. John. Yeah, and then And then we, then we left the at the southern end, so we didn't have to drive over... Well, we didn't have to drive over the main route more than once. If we'd had to make the round trip back up to do the ferry, the same ferry, it would have been another 1,000 kilometers of driving. 
So that's uh, a big saving. So we took the long ferry, overnight ferry, and then at the southern end we took the short ferry, which was about six or eight hours. Mm -hmm. Once again, of course, the RVs went on the ferry, and it was a pleasant experience, but we didn't have a cabin. So that one was only $580. So a lot of people, I think, decide, "Eh, I'm not going to go on the big long ferry, the 16-hour ferry. I'm going to go on the short one twice. But understanding that in order to go to St. John or to some of the other scenic places along the way, you have to drive over the Trans-Canada Highway twice. It's a lot. And Newfoundland is not a particularly easy place to drive in. There's no expressway and well, the roads... The Trans-Canada Highway is pretty the nice. The roads vary in quality and width. But and all of the sights to see, to me, are off on the peninsulas that stick up or down from the, the Trans-Canada Canada Highway. So what we would do is drive a ways and then drive up a peninsula, spend a couple days, and then come back down to the Trans-Canada Highway, drive some more down the way, and then go up to the Trans-Canada Highway. I thought of the whole thing like a hand. Um, The Trans-Canada Highway goes down the palm, and you drove one finger up and saw all sorts of cute scenic stuff at the tip of that finger, because that's where all the people settled in the first place who were fishermen. And then you had to retrace your steps, drive down that finger, go a little bit farther on the palm, and drive up the next finger. Exactly, yeah. And we went to Twillingate. We went to... Well, get out of map. It's all a blur. But we went to a lot of interesting places, and sometimes the weather was good, and sometimes it was bad. And it was overall quite cold. We should mention that the campgrounds were the best campgrounds that were available, but they were not to more modern standards. So there were never times when we had 50 amps, and sometimes well, no, we had 50 amps. the 30 amps were not very robust. Sometimes we didn't have sewer. Sometimes we had water that was kind of a trickle. Um, right. One time we had a boondock, but we knew that that was coming, and and it was it was they were adequate. Yes. And if the campground didn't have Wi-Fi, there was always somebody in town who had Wi-Fi. Right. So we managed to stay pretty well connected. Wi-Fi is really becoming time. ubiquitous in lots and lots of places. I mean, you just go to a tourist stop, and they will probably have Wi-Fi. Of course, even we were able to put up the podcast without really much trouble and got it up on time, surprisingly enough. But, you know, that takes some a little bit of planning on our part. But overall, we were worried, but it, it, it turned out very well. The campgrounds were pretty much wide open. We were surprised that uh, <laughs> if we could get satellite, <laughs> we would have. But our satellite kind of trickled out. It was kind of a surprise. We would get 10 channels that would be... a a random selection of strange TV uh, channels because we only got certain transponders. And then after the first couple days of the trip, there was no satellite at all. We really enjoyed getting the news from Al Jazeera, which is a very good channel, by the way. Right. (laughs) That was the only TV channel we could get for several days. We got satellite radio pretty well. The whole trip. Virtually the whole trip. It faded in and out a couple times, but basically the whole trip was covered by satellite radio. Uh, We got almost no... No over-the-air TV. Only in St. John's. And we got almost no over-the-air radio. Uh, maybe you could get shortwave or AM or something, but we didn't get it on any sort of radio. So this area is really remote, and I'm kind of thinking about comparing it to Alaska. But I think Alaska actually has better media coverage. Infrastructure? Infrastructure than, I don't remember being this disconnected as we were in 
in Newfoundland. More in the Yukon, I would say. We were disconnected. Uh, okay. But I remember it being better. We always had over-the-air TV, it seemed like. We could get satellite most of the time. And and I'm, I'm thinking of the trip as a whole. Um, I'm really glad I did it. I really enjoyed the Maritimes. Right. But yet there are very few destinations that I would say, you must see this, you must do that. Um, although there were some highlights. But it was the sum total of all those cute little towns and all those wonderful, friendly, slightly eccentric people and the rich culture of the Newfies and all the music that they right. perform for us. It's, it was the sum total And that's one of thing we experience. did much more of than we would have done by ourselves, and that's go to music performances. We went to five or six, at, at least. least, five or six musical performances, including a Kaylee, which is two spelled Kaylees. two Kayleys. C-E-L-I-D-G-H. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would never spell it that way. Because the Celtish and Scottish influence there is still so strong. It almost felt like it was kind of a stepping stone to Europe there. It was not as North American and Canadian and American as the rest of the Maritimes. I'm talking about Newfoundland, uh-huh. I think. <clears throat> well, we had it was a very interesting cultural experience, but scenically it doesn't compare to Alaska at all. No. No, There's it was just, nice. It was Alaska, but not Alaska without the mountains and the glaciers and that sort of stuff. So, we did see. <laughs> we never saw a moose no. in the whole blessed time uh, we were there. This was typical because most no, of us, most didn't of us see, a see moose, and we heard that the reason why is because the moose have uh, eaten their fill of summer vegetation and are laying low, uh, preparing for the winter. Although, and that they tend to come to out to forage at dawn and dusk when we tended not to drive because we wanted to see where we were going and we didn't want to hit a moose. Good idea. One of our listeners asked us for tips about going to Nova Scotia. They were had two weeks and they were going to go up through Maine and Nova Scotia. My tip is stay in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the tidal bore and the fundy area yeah. with the huge yeah. tides, I would say in two weeks it's not worth going up there. And the Cabot Trail, which is one scenic area you always hear about, is tough to do because it's a circle drive that's a bear of a drive to do all in one day. But it's not. As we did it. And there are some campgrounds, but they're more suited for like tent type people or little rigs. And we were frustrated by it, I guess. Basically, go to Acadia. I think, well, I have to be honest. I mean, it was, we had a good time, but I can't recommend it on a short trip because it's too much driving. Culturally, it's Uh, quite different. Not not Nova Scotia. I think so. Really? Yeah. Because of the Kayleys. But they were in Newfoundland. No, they were in Nova Scotia, too. We went to one in Bedeck. Well, we went to several, I know, but I. I can't imagine going up there. Buy a CD. <laughs> Play it in your RV. <laughs> well, that's what I would yeah, do. I, I guess all of our, our reflections on this are colored by the fact that we have a lot of time. And, yes, And right. time exactly. is a luxury and that's a, that's a huge factor. that I very much appreciate. And when you are a working person... Um, and that's why they asked me in for two weeks. A whole lot of time driving. Yeah. Uh, Stay yeah. in Maine. Yeah. Miss, Maine is oh, fabulous. The coast of Maine, the coast is, of Maine is fabulous. You can't go wrong. It, it, exactly. And it's... And it's scenic and there's uh, all those fishing villages and great f- seafood and because after we did this we just have spent uh, four days in Acadia and it's a very nice national park with lots of things to do and it's well worth the, the time and so spend your time there because I don't think 
Canada has that. Am I going to get in trouble? No. No. No, it's your opinion. It's my opinion. Okay. Uh, electricity is still an interesting problem, and the navigator... Is st- done thinking about it. <laughs> no, it's not done thinking about it, because... <laughs> You have to understand that 50 amp is not 50 amp, and 30 amp is not always 30 amp. I just want to make dinner. I know. (laughs) We have this constant debate about whether we can cook things, and I think everybody has this issue. And One thing I would definitely recommend is is that you get yourself a digital voltage meter and plug it in. We just have one that's permanently plugged in. Because our coach has the automatic system that kicks in the over to the inverter when the voltage goes low or when it doesn't sense enough voltage, uh, that's that can be a problem because suddenly you're on inverter and you don't even know it. And I think I blew out at least two pedestals. At on least, this trip. at least, and not really because you were doing anything wrong, but because you and you thought that because it has a thirty amp plug that it is thirty amp, or because it has in one case because it has fifty fifty amp plug that it is fifty amp. And the thing you have to watch is the voltage. And when the voltage gets down to around a hundred, you're in trouble. And you should not be turning on anything else. And this can happen, as we found out in a campground, that when you are at the very end of the line, that the power, the electrons trickling out of your plug are very few. And we kept having, uh, our coach kept turning itself on and off the the grid, going back and forth to the inverter, which caused us some problems. We thought we lost our TV. (coughs) Maybe I should just quit cooking. I thought you had. <laughs> Stab her in the heart. No, she's been doing a very good job. Although there were a lot of wonderful lot of Leos. on the caravan. <laughs> caravan. <laughs> the caravan includes Leo, lots, let's eat out. lots of food. So, but dear listener, I would strongly recommend that you get yourself a voltage because even in the United States, it is a problem that you need to watch that and make sure that it doesn't blow up your coach. Because if you turn on your air conditioners and the voltage is 105, you are going to have trouble. We thought we blew up both our TV and the, the washing machine. And I know most of you don't have washing machines, but when the motor on the washing machine wouldn't start because the voltage is too low, that's a problem. You can have the same problem with air conditioners or other devices that are connected up. It's and you know you wouldn't want to use a, an electric heater during that type of situation because you would be taxing the system too much. And it doesn't necessarily blow the fuse. It's just that it's very bad on your on your components. And that Am reminds, I ranting and raving? That just reminds a me. I should mention that those on our caravan who were not fortunate enough to have washing machines in their rigs had laundromats in many of the campgrounds right. and seemed to manage just fine. Um, I felt fortunate to have one in my house, so I didn't have to stand in line and wait. But they they were there, and most people didn't seem to have major issues with that. But there were a number of people who had, when we didn't have electricity, had to just use their battery, and they didn't have AC at all. Another thing that was interesting, because we were traveling with so many coaches that we could speak to the owners of about <laughs> right. all sorts of tricky details, we would gather every night for was that it was interesting to compare what issues we were having, right. what problems we were having. For example, the night that Ken was speaking about where we were at the end of the line and didn't have enough electricity, the people who were at the other end of the line were running their air conditioners, <laughs> and they were probably the fault 
was their fault that we weren't having our yeah, electricity. Yeah, and that, that's yes, and it is just like having a water hose, and everybody takes their own little part of it off and uses it. And if they use their air conditioners, then we at the end of the line. I, they didn't do it out of malice; it's just they didn't understand. But when there's not a lot of power around, and several campground owners were confronted about this issue, and they talked about that they couldn't get enough electricity, and it was very expensive to install it's new lines. It's very remote there. In many cases, it's very remote. And the other thing that this comparison made me appreciate, and I think we talked about it a little bit last month, was the Rogue Wi-Fi signal amplifier that we have. Because without exception, unless a campground had no Wi-Fi, we were able to get connected and stay connected at a more or less glacial speed. we were probably doing exactly the same thing as sucking up all the bandwidth. Right, right. Uh, And many of our fellow travelers were not able to get on the Internet at all. Yes, they complained about that quite a lot, and that was interesting to us because we were nearly always connected with some signal. Once again, it's the same sort of thing, is is that there's a certain amount of bandwidth, and when it's used up, it's used up. You can't... uh, The Rogue, though, is nice because it has transmitting power and it has receiving power. So... One thing you have to consider when you look at the strength of the signal when it's coming into your uh, on your device is, is that when the, the fan is full, that means the receiving signal is full. But, of course, your device doesn't have a very powerful transmitter. Therefore, sending back to the base station is not always uh, possible or it's not strong enough to make it back to the base station. So incoming signal is not as, as powerful as the outgoing signal because you're Wi-Fi device, whether it's the laptop or iPad or iPhone or whatever it happens to be, just doesn't have the transmitting power. The Rogue, uh, on the other hand, has plenty of power because it's powered by the by the standard plug, and it has uh, equal transmitting and receiving power so that it, it will get the attention of the access point and keep the connection up and running as long as there's power. And I also want to add, um, referring back to the question about going to Nova Scotia, that we know of at least one of our listeners who probably spent twice as much time in Newfoundland as we did. And we would like to compare notes with you um, when you have a chance to email us. And I envy you that because there were many times when we were in Bonavista, that was one of the names I wanted to remember, uh, we were in very attractive, appealing places, but the weather was very poor. And it would have been nice just to hunker down and wait for things to clear up and be able to enjoy the area at its best instead of having to move on. Yes, that's uh, the big problem with the caravan is you've got to move on you got to keep going, and you have a schedule that has to be met. Just like when you're a worker bee and you have to go back to your job. So which type of uh, vehicle do you think is best for a caravan? I was a little bit apprehensive when we went that ours would be too big, and except for the fact that we had to pay by the foot on the ferry, which contributed a lot to our huge ferry bill, that first overnighter, I thought we were by far the most comfortable in our RV. I would agree. Um, There were many days uh, when we would do things on our own or travel on our own to various attractions or carpool, and it was nice having our own toad to come and go as we saw fit and spend as much time as we wanted. Uh, And I thought that some of the people who didn't have both kinds of 
a big place to hang out when the weather was bad and wheels to, to right. sightsee and had a less positive experience. Than One of had. our fellow companions had a truck camper, and it was a very nice truck camper. It was new, and the truck was new, and the camper uh, truck camper had slides on it, so it was about as big a truck camper as you can possibly get. And he had solar panels. He solar panels, well d- batteries, all sorts of stuff. So he had it all ready to go, and he also owned a 40-plus f- foot fifth wheel. But he didn't bring that because he thought the truck camper would be adequate. My take on evaluating that setup after this trip was that he had the worst of both. Let me explain that a little bit because it was not that comfortable. He said he really missed the the his easy, easy chair, his easy chair. Uh, and the TV was small, and he had uh, you know he had to lie on the couch to watch t- any TV. So in terms of the days that we the time that we spent in the RV, it was not that comfortable, although adequate, of course. And because his truck was so big, whenever he wanted to go out and explore, as we did, go down many gravel roads with our toad. He found it hard because he had to take his whole camper with him. And it was too big of a vehicle to do some of the roads that we did. So that leads me to come to the conclusion that our motorhome actually worked out quite well because we have a luxurious place to live when the weather's bad or when the evening uh, is upon us. And then we have the nice toad. And unlike our usual trips, this time we actually disconnected the toad a couple times in order to, we parked it in a parking lot and disconnected to go exploring during the day. Mm-hmm. So that was something else. We don't usually do that. We usually do the hub and spoke type of thing, but because we were in route, we had to uh, we had to disconnect, and that was okay. And another thing, this trip really made me notice. Now, as we are driving back toward home, <laughs> is how many many places there are where you can pull off the road. Not just you, but a lot of you. Um, and it <laughs> yes, was quite astonishing in Newfoundland to come to what they would consider a large town, which to me would be virtually nothing. They would have a little shopping center and yet have enough pavement for maybe 12 of us to pull in and park and go shopping or get a haircut or eat out. And, and stopping even in this large configuration was not always all that challenging. There were many places where we could just pull off. So we had another interesting issue and the it was reported to me that the lights on our toad were not working and so one walmart i decided to pull over and see what the deal was and so (laughs) it was interesting that i put the hood up on the car and people started gathering (laughs) to help out fixing this came to the conclusion that the ground was not functioning which is hard to believe because we have a metal connection between the the toad and the rv so you'd think that that would be a good ground but what i found out was is that the installers who installed the lights on the car had not put a ground, a separate ground. They just relied on this kind of metal-to-metal connection of the hitch. And apparently it had become um, oxidized or, I don't know, dirt had gotten in there, and so that the metal-to-metal connection was no longer grounding it. Therefore, the lights didn't work. So I would like to recommend to you that if you are in the process of uh, installing lights on your car or you're making a connection between your toad and your motorhome, that you make sure that the ground is good and that that center post on the 7-pin connector is indeed grounded. 
Uh, I found out that the motorhome connection was fine, but the car connection lacked that. So we ran a separate wire for the ground, and the lights are now working again. And, of course, another thing we did was we went to Labrador. That was on our bucket list. (laughs) And when we first signed up for this tour, it involved an overnight stay in some sort of hotel, which was taken out of the itinerary after we had signed up, which was somewhat disappointing. But having now visited Labrador for one long day, I can see why the caravan company made that decision because there just isn't nope. that much there. There, it's hardly any roads. Whoa, it's and yeah, but you can drive to. They're Labrador. working madly on doing the road that would go up the north coast of the St. Lawrence Seaway from Quebec to Labrador because right. it's attached to Quebec by land. Um, but we heard that there are 600 miles of it that are still unpaved. unpaved so, and we saw some very dusty vehicles yes. that we had a feeling might have just made that drive. So you can drive from Quebec. But we uh, decided, well, the caravan decided to take the ferry. For the day. For the day, which means that we got on the ferry and a bus met us at the other end, and we spent the full day doing a tour of Labrador. and Such as it is. It consisted mostly of gift shops. Yeah. One national park, One historic national park, site kind of place. Right, and, and not that much scenery, although the weather wasn't that good, but the scenery wasn't that good either. So we can say we have touched... We can check it off on the list. But I'm disappointed that we weren't able to say we'd stayed there for the night, yeah. because that's kind of the bottom the line rule, criteria. The Wiseman rule. If you've really visited a place, you've stayed there overnight. Exactly. But we have a t-shirt. And other assorted good stuff. I think we profited greatly from the strong dollar when oh, we yes. visited Canada. Um, uh, the last time we were in Canada, the prices were, the, the dollar values were about equal, and we found Canada to be quite expensive, and this time much less so, although I think it still is. And when you thought of some of the remote places where we were, it was amazing that there were so many goods available and commonly available, and shopping for the things we needed was really not a problem. Not a problem, but it was a little expensive, although it was interesting to find that fuel was in the seventy. Eight cents, uh, two dollars and eighty-five cents range for diesel. For diesel, and gas was always, always at least. 30 or 40 cents more expensive per gallon. Now that we're back here in New York, I'm finding that the prices are about the same. I mean, we were checking around here today and they were 290. Similar. Yeah. yeah, so the Canadian price of fuel is about the same for diesel anyways, about the same as it is back in the states, and that's a real change and a pleasant one to be, to be sure. And, of course, when you visit Canada, unlike the days of our youth, the border crossing has become much more serious. And silly me, this is now the third time that I lost my fresh tomatoes to the (laughs) Canadian border guard. No, not the Canadians. No, to the U.S. coming back in the U.S. My Canadian tomatoes were taken away by the U.S. agent. And he explained there was some kind of hothouse disease. Who knows? Um, But what is really frustrating here, and the point I want to make, is that there's no place to find out the rules. And when we asked him about that, he readily admitted that it's not posted anywhere. And it changes. Yeah, and it changes. And the other thing we lost was our potatoes between... Oh yeah, between Nova Scotia uh, and New Brunswick. Yeah, yeah, or between yeah New, between Newfoundland, Newfoundland and, and, and Nova Scotia. Yeah, they took to our, potatoes. our potatoes. We had to, we had to do a. 
they had to wash the underside of the because you can't bring any soil from Newfoundland into Nova Scotia, which is hard to believe. And so they washed the underside of some carry of our underbody, and then they took potatoes. So that was another place we checked between provinces. So that was a, a totally unexpected. It depends when you go into California. Sometimes they do fruit, yeah. fruit checks. Some of our folks lost uh, firewood apparently, but we didn't lose any firewood, even though we. We had some. Don't tell. Don't tell. Slightly illegal firewood, but that's the way we have it. If you're thinking about doing a caravan uh, like this, you might want to consider the new itinerary that they're developing. They're going to be doing 45 days just Newfoundland. I think if that was our choice, we would that one instead of the one we did. And that would mean that you would meet them in Nova Scotia. Quite a few rigs meet us in North North Sydney. Sydney. Uh, Nova Scotia to just do the second half of what it was our full 58-day tour. So they only did 30-some-odd days. You would do just Newfoundland, and you could easily spend 45 days in Newfoundland, mm-hmm, I think. Because we drove a lot. We spent and a lot we, of time and driving, we, and, and we there were numerous places that we could have spent some more time, and there were probably places that we missed that we should have gone to. Mm-hmm. St. John, not among them. I mean, St. John, we spent... Pl- pl- to me, plenty of time there. Somebody said they wanted another day there, too. Yeah, well, uh, we could do it. It, it had some nice museums yes, and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah. You're not a museum. But we did a fabulous uh, boat tour from there uh-huh. where we saw all the puffins and things. What did we see, animal-wise? Puffins, puffins gannets, porcupine, whales, the fox. Fox. Fox, not a wolf. And Bear, caribou. Car- yeah, a lot of caribou. No, not a lot of caribou. Well, that one Three day, caribou. Well, that one day, that was <laughs> a lot of caribou. For one day, walking on the road. Come on! you got to impress the listeners with all the... Well, we were told... Not nearly what there was in Alaska. No, we were told that the caribou like to stay high up in the mountains in the summer and, and eat up there. So it was pretty surprising to find some down where we were. And we had a fabulous view of an iceberg. Apparently, if you go earlier in the summer, you'll see lots of icebergs uh, because they come down from... Greenland. Greenland. So uh, to see an iceberg, I think I would schedule this trip earlier in the year. You know, I'd go in June. Well, I would go to Newfoundland in June. We were afraid it, we would it would be cold. Yes. And it well, was, not in June. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because the water's still colder. Yeah. Um, but it was cold when we went. <laughs> well, but the weather was you know, very iffy. Um, some days it was cold. Some days it was warm. We had we used air conditioning a couple of days. When, <laughs> when, when we, we had, could, when we had electricity, yeah. and other days uh, we had the heat on. So, and one day I started wearing a parka in the morning and shorts in the afternoon. So you had to be ready for anything. So how'd you like your new camera? I like it very much. I Me love too. having a viewfinder again and yes, being able to see too. the picture that I am taking. And I think it has helped me to take the pictures that I was having trouble with when I zoom all the way out so uh-huh. that I could see if I was wiggling because it's hard to be still when you have your lens all the way out. I think it helped that. Yes. And it's a little smaller and lighter than my old one, which I thought was well, pretty small. Even though it has already. virtually the same designation yeah. and the same specs. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And the battery life was very good. Uh-huh. Um, I like it a lot. I'm glad I got it. And I think I'm the same on the Panasonic. It's uh, somebody asked me, uh, and I've been communicating with them whether they would buy an, whether they should buy an SLR or a sophisticated all-in-one. And there's no question about the fact that you should get an all-in-one. I think I'm going to retire the SLR for really? sure. Really? Well, yeah, because having one lens that does it all is really a nice. I like and, it. And and having 
the SLR as backup for specialized occasions like using the super wide or the super long lens. You know, I used my 500 millimeter on this trip, and I used the super wide a couple of times on the trip, but most of the time I was using my Panasonic, which is a nice uh, combination. Plus, it does 4K video. <coughs> it's good for most of the pictures you take. 4K video, most but of I the can't time. edit it. I have no editing software. Okay. You'll have to help me out with that. <laughs> I don't have 4K. Who's going to help you? I don't know. I need help. I wanted to talk about post that was on our Google Plus member page while we were gone. And yes. I thought about writing a response, but I had too much to say and not enough time to say it. And now I'll probably forget what I want to say <laughs> in the first place. But it was put up by someone who is considering buying um, an RV, probably a motorhome, who was doing a lot of research, as you should, to try to decide if this was a good decision. And his son had sent him a link to a post put up by a lawyer who has handled a lot of lawsuits that RV purchasers have tried to file to recoup uh, real or imagined losses that they suffered as a result of buying expensive RVs that did not function properly or were not repaired properly. And the message of this video was don't buy an RV. Don't buy an RV. I mean, that was very clear because uh, there's no lemon law and there's no way to get your situation or your problem solved. And one of the thoughts I had as I watched this video <laughs> is that an RV is not a car. No. And the lemon law perhaps should not pertain to it. No, um, it shouldn't. I thought of our neighbor back home. We we live in newish homes. Ours is about 10 years old. And he hadn't lived there too long when he discovered that the concrete that formed the walls of his basement <sighs> was about as thick as a spider web. And he could poke his finger through it. And it hadn't been properly poured. And he needed to place that uh frustrating expensive disappointing those things happen to you when you are a homeowner and those things can happen to you when you are an rv owner uh i would say my impression as the unhandy member of this duo is that it very much is helpful to be handy and the more you know about fixing things the better off you are because i do think more things break in an rv than they do in your house or your car, uh -huh. um, but you have to think that it's a house bumping down the road. Another issue I think that he pointed out is that many RV salesmen have never RV'd themselves yes. and don't know what they are talking about, but I've had this same experience when I've gone to Best Buy and tried to buy a camera or a computer from some nitwit who didn't know the first thing about how and to I'm use it. I'm not sure this lawyer had done any RVing either. either. Well, in his experience as a lawyer, this has kind of gotten to be his niche, I guess, is that he hears all the worst of the worst right, exactly. stories. And, and so certainly we've heard some of those stories too. And he had, he had some pretty bad stories, but... The problem with an RV is is that it's not built by one manufacturer. There's one manufacturer who puts it together, but he buys all of his components from various other outsourced companies. So the refrigerator comes from one company, the furnace comes from one company, the the chassis. This our this uh, lawyer was under the impression that some RV manufacturers build the chassis as well as the body, and that's not the case at all. I don't Even think there the are really any really lot ones. Oh well, maybe a million dollar ones, yeah, but uh, I think they do. Yeah, but not the Normally. the typical. They buy their chassis from Ford or from Spartan or from Freightliner, and they are uh, under warranty to the to that company. Or and the engine comes from another company, so it would be very hard to have a lemon law where all of those things need to be replaced just because of some defect in one of the systems. 
and that's why a lemon law just wouldn't work. It would be nice to get it replaced, but I just don't see laws working. And, and really, how many times does do you get a new car as a result of a lemon law? The law is there. I know one person. I know one person. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same person. Yeah. But you just don't hear about that happening very often. And so the lemon law is not really much of a, an axe to hold over the head of a manufacturer as, as something that's needed because it's just not that common. And so this guy was just down on RVing because of the manufacturing defects that he had had seen uh, in his clients, and I just didn't see that that was an accurate representation. But with that said, take a listen. We'd love to hear. There were a lot, quite a few comments on the yeah. Google Plus page, so go to the Google Plus page and take a listen and uh, tell us what you think because it would be interesting to hear. And just like when you buy a brand new house, usually it's smart to go through with a punch list before you sign on the bottom line and notice all those little things that don't necessarily strike you right away. It's probably not a good a strategy to buy a brand new RV and take it on a big trip <laughs> as some of our fellow caravanners did because there are always some little things that aren't quite right or need to be tweaked and it's much better doing that when you're close to home or close to where you bought the RV. Uh, you need to take it on some shakedown cruises I would say before you plan a big journey. And our strategy of buying lightly used, almost new RVs where someone else has taken care of those little fine details that weren't quite right has worked out really well for us. Yes, and I would definitely recommend that. Uh, There were at least two RVs on this trip that were brand new. This is their first major trip, and both of them had fairly significant problems. That should have been fixed before they left home, and should have been fixed by the dealer, and would have been, and probably would have been fixed by the dealer if they had been in the in the vicinity. But they just weren't there in order to fix them, so they were off in some remote location. And on the other hand, I would also not advise you to take a caravan as we just did with um, a truck pulling a, a 1997 a that has 400,000 miles on it. That didn't right. work out too well for that guy either. <sighs> Um, couldn't shut off the engine in the Walmart parking lot. It was so loud. It was so loud. The Walmart called the police because they were scaring away customers because it was so loud sitting in the parking lot. The engine more or less had a meltdown. And come to find out that the cruise control was not disengaging. Therefore, when they stopped, the cruise control just kept the engine running at a high RPM. They took the key right out, and it just didn't stop it. And you know with diesels, because there's no ignition system, you can't shut off the spark. So if you don't shut off the fuel, then it keeps running. I suggest putting a potato in the the exhaust, but... I wasn't there. <laughs> but it was amazing to me that even though we were in some yes. pretty remote places, whatever problems people had, whether they did something boneheaded or something was um, um, old or worn out. Or You're not talking about yours truly. Things happen. No, not you. How quickly and easily things got repaired. Yeah, it, was it is amazing. quite gratifying to see. I would feel very alone and desperate, especially without a caravan, if, if some of those things had happened but to me. Mo- but most of that fix was taken care of by the locals. By the locals, yeah. And it happened pretty much without our people yeah, intervening, even, other even, than the owner. 
he was, don't bring an old vehicle, that old anyway. Because the last time we went on a caravan, the guy had a an ancient motorhome. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It broke and down had, at the campground yeah, entrance <laughs> so no one could leave or enter the campground. And they could never keep that thing running, yeah, running yeah. very much. So I also wanted to mention good shape. that um, we enjoyed having um, dinner with one of our listeners oh, in yes. Maine before we went on the caravan, which was bookended by a wonderful brunch that we had with another one of our listeners in the Acadia area at the end of our caravan. Exactly. As always, we very much enjoy meeting you guys face-to-face and answering your questions if we can. Um, I can't remember all the things that we talked about, but I know she had some pet questions. And Which we'll answer in the next episode when she sends them to me. Oh, okay. So that I can send them. I, okay. She hasn't responded, actually. Okay. But hint, we, hint. One of the questions that she had was about traveling with pets, which oh, yeah. I know we've talked about before, but we don't, don't talk about it a lot because we don't travel with a pet. But many RVers do. Many RVers RV because they want right. to travel with their pets. Exactly. It's very hard to do hotel traveling with and, an animal. And we're pretty amazed that no matter what size RV you have, people have pets and there'll be a class B when they open the door and three dogs pop out. You just go, wow, how, 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 does, that, do how does that work? But that happens. There were some people on our caravan who traveled with pets and right. everybody, it seemed to work well for everybody. Um, and one of the things that she was surprised um because, as you know, we went away for several full-day trips, and we have not talked about this, but it is quite common that campgrounds have somebody... A designated pet walker. Right. And that this is, and uh, all the caravans that we have been on, uh, this has been part of the adventure, is, is that when you have a pet, there will be somebody there who, will, for $5 a day, will handle the... <laughs> walking of the pet and the take care of the uh, excretions from the pet and do what you need to have done in your rig while you're away. This caravan, the weather was not a factor. If you no. were worried about your rig overheating, sometimes people leave the air conditioning on when they leave their pet in there right. for all day. It's possible. Right. And our rig, as you probably know, has two systems. <laughs> so, and, and this is pet friendly so that if the temperature goes too high the generator will kick on and it will start the the air conditioners automatically we don't have that particular feature because we don't have a pet but there are it's easy to install and, and, and common so that your pet will be in climate controlled comfort for the entire day you don't want to come home to a baked hot dog <sighs> Or just a hot dog. And the other question I remember she asked us was about the pros and cons of keeping a stick-built house uh-huh. when you are on the road as long as we are. And I know we've talked about this as well, but I will say that for many people, owning a home and owning a motorhome is fiscally prohibitive. Uh, we feel very fortunate that we've been able to hang on to our house because from my perspective, it makes things easier. But you also have to be cognizant of the kind of house you're hanging on to right. because when you're away as long as we are, you worry about home maintenance issues. Um, I hate inconveniencing people yes. with things like my mail. So you want to plan for that. Um, as I think we've told you, we live in 
in a gated community for geezers, and they do the snow removal and the weeding and it's the mowing. Paid for with a monthly fee. And we live very close to our neighbors, so it's easy for them to see if our house is on fire. Um, but and many people buy condos right. when they are about to go on the motorhome right. lifestyle. But it's very nice to have a home base. You need some kind of a, whether you actually have a home or not, because you have to have an address somewhere. But that's easy to get uh, as a traveler. So I would say, from my perspective, it's nice to have a home, but it should be a home that's easy to leave. But it has to do also with how much money, money you have. Right. And, and because an RV costs as much as a house, right. the one we're sitting in costs as much as a house, there are lots of people who can't afford both. And living on the road eliminates property taxes and all sorts of can other issues. can save you a lot of money. So even though your motorhome is ex- is, a, is expensive as a house, you're probably your living expenses will be substantially less. And of course it depends where you are leaving from. Um, If you are a homeowner on either of the coasts or near a big city, your home is worth a lot more and is more expensive than if you're from Middle America. Um, We've certainly been in parts of the country where we were shocked how far our homeowning dollar would go compared to Metro Chicago where we live. Uh, So that's a factor as well. You might want to sell your stick-built house and buy in a more affordable area and make that your home base. So once again, we are having a list, an eight-page list of notes with all sorts of great topics to talk about, and we are out of time. Well, when we're... Including the RV multi-LED awning kit. Which you need desperately. We'll put it on your Christmas list. My Christmas list? I can't get it before Christmas. You're not going camping. Is it time to consider buying tires made in China? Another fabulous topic. I don't know. I don't know either. But the article has well, you're gonna need, a beautiful lights. You're going well, we, to need all this hard news next month because we'll be off the road and oh, we'll be thinking about traveling without an RV. And these, we'll be, these we'll thoughts be heading will off not to be Africa. uppermost in our mind. Well, I've got the, all these notes, and I'm sorry that many of them are left over from last month <laughs> because we just talked too much last month. I would like to mention that I was doing a research on iTunes, and there are lots of new RV podcasts. I was surprised. We have competition. We have competition. Oh, no. But we get excellent reviews. So I would uh, encourage our listeners to maybe, if you happen to be in the iTunes neighborhood, that you log on to the RV Navigator and give us a review. Uh, an honest one is always the the best. But We the, aim to please. We aim to please. So we always like to hear from you, and we would like to hear from you in a comment on the iTunes. And maybe you'd like to listen to some other uh, RV podcasts because uh, there were Are several there some you like. I don't know. I haven't listened to them. I, oh. I just did this in the last couple of days, and I didn't. Uh, I am so it's, it's like they've started is since June. I don't oh. know what the deal is, mm-hmm. so they're brand new. Mm-hmm. And then some of them have died. Well, it's hard to keep up. You need self-discipline. And we're coming up to 10 years once again, ladies and gentlemen, so that we'll be having a grand celebration and a huge giveaway. I should shoot off a cannon. A giveaway? Can- what are you giving away? We still haven't gotten any advertisers. You can't afford to give anything away. Oh, well, maybe by the time I I can give a can of (laughs) WD-40, the all-purpose. The RVers friend. The RVers friend. I can give away away an RV Navigator business card. (laughs) 
a bottle of Happy Camper wine. No, a bottle favorite. of Happy Camper Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Okay, so here we are in New York on our way home. In a few days, we will be home. And uh, Hopefully if, the people there still ha- remember who we are. If you happen to uh, be in a campground near us in the next few days, we'll be more than happy to see you. Otherwise, we will be not camping again until January or oh, so, wow. when we will be heading off to the southwest. So it's been a fun. I feel kind of exhausted. Yeah, we've done a lot this summer. Yes, we have. It's we been, need some vegetables. And, and it's hard to remember even what we did at the beginning in June when As we you left. Can tell we forgot the names of things. Terrible. Terrible. Well, that's why I keep the blog so I can always look it up. The the reference tool that we have come to rely on, and everybody was very appreciative of you doing the blog. Yeah, that's nice so to hear. That's, if you have uh, interest in going to Nova Scotia or Canada or many of the places we've been, be sure to take a look at Martha's blog, which is at mytripjournal slash Wiseman, and then the number of the trip, and you're on trip number... 37. 37, so there's a lot of itineraries for you to look at. How many total days, do you think? Oh, I didn't count. Hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Hundreds. So all of that will be available to you for free, and we invite you to come and take a look at the Google Plus page, and if all of this can be found by starting at the rvnavigator.com and sending us an email at navigator at rvnavigator.com so that we can hear from you and chat with you in the near future. Until then, yeah. we hope to see you in a campground near us before we arrive home. Happy travels.